0: sometimes referred to as psychedelic assisted therapy or PAP, P-A-P, is a type of mental health and psychiatric practice that involves ingesting a psychedelic substance as part of the psychotherapeutic process. In psychedelic therapy, the use of psychedelics is typically combined with talk therapy. A range of consciousness altering Drugs are currently being used or researched for therapeutic purposes in both clinical and non clinical settings. Some of these are derived from plants, like psilocybin, you may commonly refer to as magic mushrooms, DMT, peyote, ayahuasca. Others, including substances like ketamine, MDMA, also commonly known as the street drug ecstasy, and LSD are chemical compounds. While indigenous communities have used psychedelics in their ritualistic and religious practices for centuries, psychedelic therapy is relatively new in western clinical settings and completely new to the world of systemic therapy and MFT. But It's becoming more popular with increased legalization of certain psychedelic substances, a rise in treatment-resistant mental health conditions, and an overall lull in psychopharmacological research. These early research, as witnessed by the MAPS program and other research trials using psychedelics, have shown promise as a treatment for chronic PTSD, depression, OCD, and other potential applications around things like nicotine, alcohol dependence, even social anxiety. So, we're gonna talk about this today your primer on the AMFT project, your primer to psychedelics, and how would it apply to systemic therapists? So, I wanted to get an LMFT and I wanted to get someone on the forefront of this movement, and that is Sarah Reed. Uh, we share the birthplace, the great bluegrass, the Commonwealth of Kentucky. In common, but Sarah is an LMFT and she calls herself a mental health futurist, has spent much of her career reimagining effective mental health care in the medical system. Sarah's clinical interests focus on ethical care and psychedelic sessions, examining ways culture informs how we diagnose and treat mental illness. And before joining the Center for Psychedelic Research, where she is now, Sarah participated as a study a therapist, as she'll talk about today with the MDMA therapy for PTSD clinical trial sponsored by MAPS, and that stands for the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. While working with MAPS, she advocated for health equity in psychedelic therapy and co-led the first ever MAPS MDMA-assisted psychotherapy training for clinicians of color. After the study ended, she received training in psilocybin therapy at Yale for psilocybin-induced neuroplasticity in the treatment of major depressive disorder, that clinical trial. And she co-wrote a paper using acceptance and commitment therapy as a therapeutic modality to go in conjunction with the psychedelic treatment. In addition to her appointment at Imperial, Sarah co-facilitates psilocybin truffle retreats in the Netherlands. She works in private practice with clients with mood and anxiety disorders using ketamine as an adjunct to psychotherapy, and she'll talk about that today. And she lectures and gives media interviews on topics infusing culturally sensitive practices with psychedelic-assisted therapy, and acts as a consultant and advisor and to many organizations on anti-oppressive and inclusive practices. I learned so much in this interview. Shara shares her personal and professional journey. And we will be back with a lot of good news you can use after our interview with Sarah Reed. For MFTs, addressing mistrust in couples due to alcohol misuse can be one of the greatest challenges. SoberLink is your ally in this journey. Trusted for over a decade, it delivers real time, discreet proof of sobriety, fostering accountability and healing in your clients elevate your practice with a solution that meets the core issues head on make every session more impactful request free materials from soberlink that's www.soberlink.com/aamft soberlink.com/aamft immerse yourself share with clients and witness transformation Eli back with you on the AAMFT podcast. So happy to be joined by Sarah Reed, an LMFT, and someone really on the forefront of integrating psychedelics and psychedelic assisted therapy into the practice of working systemically. So, Sarah, the first question is always tell us about your psychotherapeutic origin story. How'd you get interested in MFT? and then specifically your journey into working with psychedelic assisted therapy.
1: Yeah. So thank you, Eli, for having me. Really excited for this conversation because it's the first time that I've actually been in conversation on a podcast with with another MFT. But my origin story really starts with the divine that in 2013, I experienced two significant losses in my life. One being the loss of a child. And I was going through grief in the ways that I knew how to grieve, which was to work. To put all of my effort, time, and energy into work. And one, the work wasn't working and the grief was present. I prayed and I asked God, I said, please, if you can get me through this situation, I'll really surrender to what it is you have for me in this line. And maybe a couple months after I said that prayer, I heard a divine whisper that said marriage and family therapy. And at the time, I'm like, marriage and family therapy? Absolutely not. And I say that because I had, I had taken a course on psychology and mental health in undergrad and was like, yeah, no, anything that's related to mental health, anything that's related to Western medicine, it's not my jam.
0: And you had a philosophy background in bioethics, right? So nothing really remotely related to mental what? health.
1: Exactly. Not interested in Western medicine all. And I remembered the divine whisper of marriage and family therapy. And so I said, okay, I'm going to look at programs, look at this field that I knew nothing about at the time. I was living in Kentucky and wanted to move away and found a really gem of a program at Baldosta State University. Their master's in marriage and family therapy program is where I got trained. And it Hands down, one of the top five best decisions I've made in my life. And even after getting trained in marriage and family therapy, I was like, this is great. Really appreciate viewing people as people and understanding our humanity through different social systems, whether it's family systems, cultural systems, societal systems. That felt very Humanizing for me as it relates to helping people work through their life journey. And I was like, but I don't really want to do therapy. And fast forward a few months after my program, I got connected with Dr. Monica Williams, who was in Kentucky at the time, because I was really interested in continuing research on the ways that Black Americans process and talk about mental health and I'm like if I have to I need to make a living I've got this degree that can provide me some money so um, I'll just do therapy for a little while and then um, while working with Monica uh, she approached me and asked if I would be interested in attending this training program that was sponsored by this organization called the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, also known as MAPS, because they recognized that in their MDMA therapy for PTSD clinical trial, that they needed to recruit more racially diverse participants, that their participant pool was overwhelmingly white. And so they recruited Monica to help diversify their research participant pool. And then Monica then approached me to see if I would be interested in at least going to a training. And I said yes, because I remembered that in my own MST training program, we got exposed to what they called alternative treatments, which included psychedelic assisted therapy. And we got exposed to Dr. Gabor Matei's work in ayahuasca and treating addiction. And so I was familiar with the concept of psychedelic therapy. And as a Black woman from the South, I was connected to the idea that plants can be used as medicine. And so I was up for it to really start this journey. And I moved my entire life from Kentucky to Connecticut. And I became the first Black woman to see a participant of color. First Black woman to see any participant in the MDMA therapy clinical trials. And our site at the time was focused on providing participants of color with the culturally informed experience. And yeah, from there, I have been talking about the importance of cultural sensitivity in psychedelics therapy and I've received training in psilocybin therapy and ketamine therapy and I have recently made another move and now am based in London England where I am a psychedelic research therapist at Imperial College London and here I'm their lead psychedelic research therapist for the psilocybin for OCD trials. And and yeah, that is a long origin story, but a long journey, but.
0: But it's so fascinating. And like I said, our listeners love to hear the personal connection to it. So clearly your own loss and trauma influenced your move to MFT and now what you're doing now. So let's educate our listeners. You mentioned lots of things. uh, Ayahuasca, uh, psilocybin, MDMA, the uh, ketamine, these are all under the blanket of psychedelic therapy. So for our listener that maybe knows nothing about psychedelic assisted therapy, let's talk about what it is and what are the benefits and what are the potential risk.
1: Yeah. So psychedelic therapy is using psychedelics like MDMA, like psilocybin, like ketamine as adjuncts to treatment or as tools in treatment to support someone in their psychotherapeutic journey. Now, research is being done now to see how safe and effective these medicines are in treating mental health conditions like depression, PTSD, anxiety, anorexia, And as a field, we are still learning the best therapeutic practices for how to approach this work in a safe and open and sensitive way for the folks that come into these sessions. Because the reality is that mental health is not improving, mental health is getting worse, especially with the pandemic. People have reported increases in anxiety, increases in depression, and a lot of times people turn to psychedelic therapies or alternative therapies because they've tried the talk therapies and for decades even, and that hasn't worked. They've tried SSRIs, and while SSRIs can maybe take the edge off of the symptoms people experience, it doesn't. Completely resolve the symptoms. And not to say, uh, I want to be very clear about this, the psychedelic therapy completely resolves um, someone's symptoms. We're still figuring out how psychedelics work in the brain and how to apply them in therapy. And what I can say is that psychedelics present a really unique opportunity because psychedelics may help to catalyze the therapeutic process by Helping people stay emotionally engaged with their trauma, with their losses, with their emotional wounds that are coming up, that they can actually stay with their emotional experience and not be overwhelmed by the anxiety that might be coupled with the experience, the fear that might come up from the experience. And to stay engaged in that experience and create new meaning and to create a different relationship to the scene that often people are trying to disconnect or separate from.
0: That is a beautiful overview. And from a psychoeducation perspective, what do you think systemic therapists need to know before deciding if this type of work is a good fit for them, including things like how psychedelics affect a client's brain chemistry and Which clients are a better fit? Which ones aren't? What is basic psychoeducation a therapist should know before they even contemplate of adding this to their scope of competence? Mm.
1: I would say that my invitation would be for therapists to check in with themselves to see what's calling them to this work if they feel called to do this work. That psychedelic therapy is going to be a part of potentially this new wave of mental health care, this new wave of mental wellness. Because the reality is the mental health field is changing. That people aren't overly relying on talk therapy as much. Not to say that talk therapy doesn't have its place. Talk therapy will always have its place. And there might be some folks who've tried talk therapy, some folks who may not be the best fit for talk therapy because they've maybe tried SSRIs before and they're looking for something different and as the mental health field is changing people are at least from what I see are becoming less focused on symptoms and changing behavior and they're more focused on changing their consciousness that what does it mean for me to expand my own consciousness what does it mean for me to connect with myself more deeply? And psychedelic-assisted therapy is just a tool that can equip clinicians to support clients who are looking for other modalities that cater to the consciousness. And also just want to normalize here that psychedelic therapy is very similar to any type of meditative therapy, experiential therapy, focusing on the here and now that psychedelic therapy is very complementary to some of the modalities that we've been trained in as MFTs.
0: So in this Psychedelics 101 for our listeners, you mentioned again, the different types, uh, ketamine, ayahuasca, MDMA, street drug, ecstasy. And we've also talked about psilocybin, also mushrooms. So let's talk about the differences between the drugs and then we'll talk about the type of training that you need to even think of doing this. And we'll talk about where you can get the training and if it's even legal and how to do all of that. So what are the major differences between these type of psychedelic agents?
1: Okay. So I will humanize myself right now and say, I am still learning the differences between um, these different substances and how they work on the brain and how they can be applied therapeutically. And what I will say as well is science is still figuring out how psychedelics work in the brain, how psychedelics can work therapeutically. And even though researchers are still figuring out best practices for psychedelic assisted therapy. It's important to know that psychedelic therapy has its root in indigenous practices. That it psychedelic therapy has its roots in nature. That even for example, psilocybin mushrooms grow all over the world. And indigenous folks have been using psilocybin for a variety of different reasons, for self-discovery, for healing, for wellness, for communion with spirit, ancestors, just to name a few. And while traditional use of an indigenous practice of psychedelics is still happening, researchers now are trying to figure out how they can take some practices from indigenous influence and apply it to a Western context. I once heard Kufikiri and Mara describe this psychedelic resurgence as really the mainstreaming of indigenous practices to the medical field. Now, the research is testing how well Psilocybin works for people who experience depression. There's also psilocybin for folks who have end-of-life anxiety. And at the research center that I work at, we're testing how well psilocybin mushrooms or psilocybin works with OCD populations, as well as psilocybin for chronic pain. Ketamine is another substance that is accessible and available legally to us right now. That if you are a therapist and you are interested in gaining some experience with ketamine, there are many training programs that you could attend right now to get not only the theoretical educational experience, but also experiential experience and even work as an apprentice under someone or with someone who's been working with the medicine for a while. And because ketamine is legal and it's available to us to use, particularly in the United States, in an off-label way, meaning that ketamine can use to be treated depression, and anxiety, PTSD, that yes, ketamine is also used as an anesthetic in different medical settings. But ketamine can also be used for mental health purposes. And we can talk A little more about the routes of administration with ketamine if interested because there's lots of nuance with how to work with ketamine. And MDMA is probably one of the most known substances right now because of the clinical trials being conducted or sponsored by MAPS. And MDMA is being used to see if it can be effective for treating trauma. And particularly, researchers have asked why MDMA for PTSD. And it's because that MDMA, some of the subjective effects of MDMA can help people to feel more open, more connected with themselves, more connected with their therapists in a therapy context, more connected with the world around them. And this connection to self and others is really useful for folks who come from a trauma background more to say on that but maybe in just a time i'll uh, pause there for now
0: yeah let's talk about what a typical mdma assisted session looks like because we are talking about collaboration with a a physician, psychiatrist, in addition to a therapist, we were talking about a lot of preparation before. So for somebody that knows nothing about this, let's talk about MDMA specifically. What does that a session look like? And our listeners love stories. So your experience, again, being a first African-American female to, to deliver this and what it is like actually as a therapist being in the room with a client going on a journey, working through their trauma. We'd love to hear about that.
1: I'll even start with my own story with MDMA therapy, because as part of the MAPS therapist training protocol, I had the opportunity where I could participate in an optional study where I got to go through a very small rendition of what the larger protocol was meaning that I got to take MDMA in a one time clinical setting and so what this included for me was there was a screening process that I had to go through there was a preparation process there were two dosing sessions that I had both with placebo and with MDMA and there are also integration sessions or follow up sessions that I had post dosing and it's some Important for me to participate in this healthy volunteer trial as a participant so I could experience, even just in a fraction of a way, what I would be asking participants who would be going through these trials to do. And my experience with MDMA was quite liberating for me. I experienced deconnection to my own humanity. And specifically meeting, I felt like I was able to be free as an adult, which is something that I hadn't experienced since I was an adolescent. The MDMA helped to support this experience of deep embodied liberation for me. And it also connected me with the embodied story in the embodied stories that I had been carrying, not only from my past, but also my ancestral past. And particularly my experience showed me that MDMA can be a really useful tool in helping folks navigate between their personal and political realities. What I mean here is that James Baldwin has a quote from his book, The Fire Next Time, that says, Color is not a personal or human reality. It's a political one. And during my experience, I not only got to experience uh, liberation and freedom that was a necessary part of my journey, the joy that was part of my journey, but also experiencing what it means to be in my body. At the time, I was a 27-year-old Black woman living in this cultural career. And with that, with my experience as a participant in a healthy volunteer trial, that really shaped and informed how I practice or how I want to practice in psychedelic assisted sessions. Because I think we really really miss the mark and we really undermine a person's therapeutic process if we solely focus on the science or solely focus on the neuroscience that people are more than just their symptoms, that people have a variety of ways that they think about health and illness and that the ways that people think about health and illness show up in their body and it shows up in how they express their symptoms. And psychedelic-assisted therapy really presents a unique opportunity for helping folks connect back to their own humanity. Now, to circle back to just the structure of the session, there is a screening portion that anyone who goes through a psychedelic assisted therapy session has to go through a screening portion where there's medical evaluations and psychological evaluations to determine if it's appropriate for some folks to participate in this treatment. And then there's a preparatory period where folks begin to prime themselves for the expanded state of consciousness experience. And this preparatory period can may- look many different ways depending on the practitioner who's involved. And then there are dosing sessions where she'll receive, depending on the trial, either an active dose of MDMA or a placebo dose of MDMA. And dosing days mean that participants come in and are guided through an inner-directed experience for about eight and a half hours. They are provided with eye shade and headphones to help them center and focus on what's happening internally with them. The therapists are really there to just support folks in that process. And then after the dosing sessions, there's an integration period where folks integrate the insights gained in dosing sessions into daily life and daily practice. And integration sessions are really important because people can have insights all day in a dosing session. But if people don't actually apply what they've learned in a dosing session in an integration period, they will continue to return to the patterns that are creating the trauma, or creating the depression and creating the suffering. So that is a high level of um, summary of the MDMA therapy protocol, as well as maybe some of what people can expect in dosing sessions.
0: Eight and a half hours, I think for a lot of people, our listeners, that is maybe as long, if not longer, than their clinical day. So the the dosing sessions and the integration sessions, talk about typically in in the trial. And we'll talk about the protocol and where the, the MAPS trial is uh, as far and what what. We've found from the research so far, but that even a cell to a client or a therapist, that is a long time. How many of those dosing sessions versus how many of the integration sessions are done and how far apart are they?
1: Yes. So just want to uh, affirm that eight and a half hours is a long time, um, especially for participants going through this experience where they are focused. Um, even sometimes focus on the things that they've been avoiding for many years, and that it is a lot to be with yourself for eight and a half hours. And luckily, with the therapy training protocol, it's not just one therapist who's present with the participant for eight and a half hours. There are two therapists that are present, and so that really helps to hold the space in a different way to where and to also acknowledge that therapists may need to go take break, the bathroom, go get lunch and take turns doing that whilst supporting the client in their own experience. And so with the MDMA therapy format, there is one dosing session, typically for three integration sessions. So you have one dosing session that's eight and a half hours and then you have three subsequent integration sessions that are about an hour and a half each. And then after you complete that first dose, you then have a second dosing session where again, you go into therapy for eight hours and then after that dosing session, you then have integration sessions that are about an hour and a half. Sure. It's totally. And you do that for three times within a therapy protocol or within this particular therapy protocol. And the results have been quite promising, being that over 60% of participants who've gone through the MDMA therapy clinical trials no longer meet diagnostic criteria for PT and STI one year after being enrolled in the study. So not one month, but one year. So to me, this sends the message down the results are promising, and that something is being shifted for some participants in these sessions that is leading to lasting change, at least based on a diagnostic criteria.
0: And can you speak to working with the pairs, obviously a prescriber, so is this a mental health professional, an MFT, and a psychiatrist, uh, a physician doing the prescribing uh, in the MDMA protocol specifically?
1: Yes. So there's always a prescriber involved in the studies um, who administers the MDMA. And there are other therapists that come from a variety of different backgrounds who can participate as guides. So these include folks who come from clinical psychology backgrounds, social work backgrounds, and of course, MFT background. So there's a whole treatment team that is really there to support someone Why? in going through this experience.
0: I've, in my own personal journey, been soaking this up for the last year or two, but MFT is, the, our podcast here will be the first time AMFT or anything related to AMFT has has mentioned psychedelics. So one of the critiques on this great work is, wow, it is so expensive. And I guess, could you speak to that? And especially for you interested in bringing this to populations that have minority populations, not necessarily open to mental health or traditional mental health, like removing as many of the barriers as possible for people that can really benefit from this type of psychedelic assisted therapy is very important. So why is it so expensive?
1: Mm. Why it's so expensive? I feel like I may not know the total nuances to that question, but what I can see from my perspective is that there are There's a whole treatment team and this treatment team is compensated at different intervals in the trial and the dosing sessions are eight and a half hours long and you people are paying by the hour and by people at the research sponsor right now is paying by the hour for these therapy sessions which can be quite costly just for one therapist but when you add two therapists to an eight and a half hour day, that can get pretty expensive pretty quickly. And again, adding two therapists, not just to the dosing day, but also to the integration sessions that the model of care that we have in psychedelic therapy right now with the two to one model, particularly with MDMA therapy, is not going to be accessible for a lot of folks, which One solution that folks are exploring to answer this question around accessibility is to find ways that psychedelic therapy can be covered by insurance, which is a great start. And another element to the conversation is, what if someone doesn't have health insurance, then how are they going to be able to afford psychedelic therapy? And the reality is we don't know. There's a lot of brainstorming and planning that needs to happen to really create more affordable cost models to make psychedelic-assisted therapy more accessible in the medical model. Now, I will say, in thinking about our diversity, the diversity that exists in our humanity, that I also think there needs to be too diversity in our models of care that we all are not going to gravitate towards the medical model for psychedelic assisted therapy and there are other models of care that we can that we can adopt that will make treatments more accessible and affordable psychedelic therapy retreats are something that is happening across the globe and right now, the only way that you can administer or take psychedelics legally, particularly MDMA or psilocybin, are through clinical trials or through the extended access program for MDMA. If you're wanting to work in a legal retreat setting, you're going to have to go travel to another country to be able to work with these medicines legally in their retreat settings. Retreat models of care, group models of care are another way to make psychedelic therapy more accessible. And also something that is, that's something that I've adopted in my own practice is working with self-administered sessions with ketamine. Now this can still a bit controversial to some, but ketamine, depending on where you live, what state you live in, Ketamine can be prescribed to folks who have a variety of different mental health issues. And after, if you're cleared from a medical guide to receive ketamine, ketamine can literally be prescribed to you, delivered to you, to where that you can have your own self-administered sessions with ketamine. Now, I would not recommend self-administered sessions for someone who has severe mental health issues just because that can be more destabilizing for you. But if you're someone who maybe has been in therapy before, things haven't worked, and you are interested in exploring a different treatment, that self-administered sessions can be a route to go. And again, a route that is definitely going to be more financially feasible just because you're not paying for the overhead costs of a therapist guiding you in sessions that you may join in on some integration sessions that are group-based, but for the most part, the agency is in your hands to
0: go through your experience. Very fascinating. I always think, how do we take something so powerful and healing as an experience as you're talking about? And then Make it relational, as we're MFTs. So this idea of somebody doing these dosing sessions and then this integration work, and then trying to share those gains with a partner—what are your thoughts as far as in the future of how this can be expanded and integrated into working with couples and families, our traditional domains of MFT practice?
1: <laughs> a dear friend what's told me that psychedelics are relational medicines that at their core this is what psychedelics do is help us explore and expand our relationships with ourselves and our relationships with other people and the good news is there's already some interesting research that's happening now around MDMA therapy for couples And there's some studies if folks are interested that are coming out of Canada. I want to say Toronto by Dr. Wagner. I recommend you to research those studies if you're interested in learning more. But yeah, Eli, as you shared earlier that psychedelics, I believe are going to be part of a new wave of mental health care. And there's a lot of possibility and work that marriage and family therapists can do to really help expand the field to be more culturally sensitive and relational as like a foundation.
0: Now, people are going to listen to this podcast and you're uh, such an accessible and eloquent speaker. They're going to f- like flood maps. I do know, however, maps, if you go to the website now, where they are in their level of their clinical trial. I don't think there's any trainings or any way to get in 2023 as we sit here. If I'm a systemic therapist and like, I want to learn more about this, I'd potentially get trained about not just MDMA, any psychedelic assisted therapy. Where would you go? How would you follow up if you were turned on after listening to this podcast?
1: Yes. So there are many training programs that are available that you can participate in to learn more. And I will say that definitely check in with the training program that you're pursuing and what your state regulations are, because what you don't want is to spend thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on a training program and you actually can't administer any of these medicines or work with any of these medicines if they do become legal now some mentions the california institute of integral studies they've got a psychedelic therapy certificate there is also the vital program that is being put on by psychedelics today and if you're looking for A real intro to psychedelic therapy that is rooted in indigenous practices, rooted in ceremony, rooted in systemic relationship. That I invite you all to join myself and Charlotte James in the psychedelic liberation training. So if you Google psychedelic liberation training, you will find the training that comes up. It's a 10 week course that really introduces folks to concepts of psychedelic assisted therapy isn't particularly medicine-focused, but is really a nice orientation to this work. So we'd love to have more MFTs in our training program. We're always taking open room. So looking forward to seeing some of you there.
0: As always, our listeners will like to follow up with our guest, if somebody wants to get in contact with you, what is the best way to reach you, Sarah?
1: Yes. so feel free to reach out to me at info. That's S-A-R-A-J-R-E-D.info. Also, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm not the best social media kind of person. I am there as well. So I'd love to hear from you.
0: Sarah Reed, thank you so much. Uh, That was great bringing to a close another really informative installment of the AAMFT podcast for everything Sarah-related, including those retreats that she talked about. Uh, And you can find out more about her training, uh, her consulting work, go to Sarah J. Reed, that's S-A-R-A-J-R-E-E-D.info. If you want to find out more about what's going on at in AMFT, including the Systemic Therapy Conference, go to aamft.org. The Systemic Family Therapy Conference 2023 version of fully virtual, sponsored by the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, October 25th through 27th. We are just about two months away. This is a comprehensive three-day event focusing on enhancing the systemic thinker, developing cutting-edge clinical skills and training to propel our profession forward and integrating MFT values into vital community and institutional systems that shape our global societies. The Systemic Family Therapy Conference for the last three years has taken a holistic approach to the continuing development of Family Therapist flagship event, as I said, completely virtual and a great benefit. It is available to all of our student members with student AAMFT memberships um, for free, an amazing, amazing value and uh, you're going to get up to 14.5 continuing education units. There's more than 70 sessions uh, to choose from and including networking with attendees across the globe. I can't highly uh, recommend it enough. I was lucky enough to present the last couple years. This year, I'll be there just as a excited participant. Drop us a line. I'm at Eli at NorthstarCounselingcenter.com. You can also find us wherever you th- find your favorite podcast. I'm partial to Apple Podcast or Spotify. You could also get us at Google Play where you'll see five seasons worth of very hot topics like we talked about today, including everything relevant to you, the systemic thinker, whether you're practicing individual couple or family therapy want to find out more about me, you can go to elikaram.com where you can see the book Bringing Common Factors to Life, which is infused in a lot of the values and the way we look at successful therapists, successful therapies, successful client systems. My book with Adrian Blow from Rutledge Press. And you can go also on the webpage if you've ever wanted to get more kind of training or understand More about how I look on training therapist and integrating individual, couple, and family systemic therapy. Uh, You can see ways to get involved with that um, also. Until next time, my friends. Stay safe. Stay systemic.